You're listening to a 3CR podcast created in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au. Good morning and welcome to Out of the Blue on Sunday the 19th of April. You're listening to 3CR Community Radio, 855am. You can stream our show online at www.3cr.org.au forward slash Radio Blue, where you'll also find our podcast. To keep up to date with the latest ocean news, follow our Facebook page at Out of the Blue Radio. We acknowledge the traditional custodians of the land 3CR is broadcasting from and pay our respects to their elders past, present and emerging. The COVID-19 pandemic has affected community radio just like every other industry. To continue bringing you important stories about the oceans, we're now recording remotely, and in my case, from a makeshift studio on my couch. We hope you're all staying safe out there. My name is James Whitmore, and in today's episode, we're going to be hearing the latest on the Great Barrier Reef. We'll be right back after this announcement. Community radio is your antidote to social isolation. Stay connected and listen to 3CR, 855 AM, 3CR digital and streaming and podcasting online at 3cr.org.au. You're listening to Out of the Blue on 3CR Community Radio. Anyone who has been lucky enough to dive on a coral reef will know what extraordinary environments they are. A dazzling array of colour and form, home to myriad other organisms. They are one of the most diverse ecosystems on the planet. Corals, which are animals, get their colour from tiny algae that live within their bodies, which supply the coral with food. But if the water temperature gets too warm, the corals expel the algae, turning them white, a process known as coral bleaching. Although corals can recover, if the bleaching is too severe, they will die. In recent years, the Great Barrier Reef, which we know is home to at least 9,000 different species, has seen four mass coral bleaching events. In the past couple of weeks, it has experienced the fifth. Last week, I spoke to Professor Terry Hughes, who had just returned from nearly two weeks flying over the reef, assessing the damage. I'm a marine biologist. I'm a professor of marine biology at James Cook University. I'm also the director of a large coral reef research group. It's called the ARC Centre for Coral Reef Studies. And how long have you been working on the reef? Oh, a long time. Uh, I uh, started out my career working on Caribbean reefs in the late 1970s through to the late 1990s. So I worked there for a very long time. I lived in the United States for 12 years as a PhD student and postdoc before moving to Australia in 1990. So I began working on the Great Barrier Reef before I moved here in the mid 80s. So I've worked on the Great Barrier Reef for most of my career, about 35 years. Yeah, and during that time, you've obviously seen some incredible changes. Um, So for the past two weeks, I think you've been flying up and down the Great Barrier Reef surveying the latest coral bleaching event. Um, And on Twitter, 
you likened it to wandering around the Louvre as if it as it burns to the ground. Can you just tell us about what you've seen over the past couple of weeks? Sure. Well, we're we're in the middle now of a large coral bleaching event. It's the fifth one we've seen on the Great Barrier Reef since 1998, so the fifth in 23 years. It's the third in just the last five years. So, so bleaching events can be very destructive. They're triggered at a large scale by heat stress due to global warming. So according to the Bureau of Meteorology here in Australia, February this year was the hottest month on record for sea temperatures on the Great Barrier. Bombs records go back to 1900. Bleaching isn't necessarily fatal, but if the corals are exposed to high temperatures, then you do see significant losses of corals. So the amount of corals on the Great Barrier Reef is the lowest we've ever measured since monitoring began about 30 years ago. And a big driver of that ongoing decline is global warming. Mm-hmm. And in this most recent survey, what are some of the numbers that you've, uh, of you know, the amount of coral bleaching that you've seen? Well, we, we fly over the, the reefs uh, in a small airplane, flying at 500 feet as slowly as we can without falling out of the sky, which is a bad idea. And, and we crisscross the length and breadth of the Great Barrier. So this time we intercepted 1,036 individual reefs and we score the extent of bleaching on each reef several times per reef. So the bleaching can range from no bleaching, and when we produce a map, the, the zero bleaching reefs are green, so green is good, um, all the way up to more than 60% of the corals are white, which is severe bleaching, and we, we color code that red. So we've just released a map of the 2020 bleaching showing where all the green reefs are, that's the good news, and where all the red reefs are. Um, A lot of the reefs are intermediate between severely bleached and not bleached. Um, So this time around, 25% of the reefs we looked at were severely bleached. They're coloured red in our maps. Hmm. And how does that compare to the previous mass bleaching events? You've mentioned there have been five now, but particularly... Yeah, the most most severe so far was 2016. Mm -hmm. That was followed by 2017 and now 2020. So of the five events we've we've seen, this is the second most severe in terms of um, the number of green reefs. So it had the uh, second lowest number of green reefs and also it had the second highest number of red reefs, beaten only by 2016. So it's a severe event. It would rank number two. Also, this event is distinguished by its extent. For the first time, we've seen severely bleached reefs in the northern, central, and now the southern part of the Great Barrier. The south escaped severe bleaching in 2016 and 17. It wasn't hot enough. But this year, the heat was much more evenly distributed throughout the Great Barrier. So the bleaching forecasts that are produced by NOAA the uh, US agency 
um, warned everyone that the temperatures were getting very hot as the summer progressed and that they were unusually evenly spread uh, around the Great Barrier Reef. So their prediction was widespread bleaching, but we didn't know how severe it was going to be until we actually measured it from the airplane. Mm. And at this point, um, is there any really any, any part of the reef that hasn't experienced this severe coral bleaching? Yes, there is, but it's dwindling. So every time we get a bleaching event, they have a distinctive footprint that, that the geography of each, foot, of each footprint is determined by where the water was hottest for longest. So in 2016, the water temperatures were extreme in the northern third of the Great Barrier Reef, and that's where the severe bleaching was. A year later, in 2017, it was primarily the central part of the Great Barrier Reef. The south escaped in both those years. This time round, we're seeing severe bleaching throughout and for the first time in the south. So if you, if you think about these events as cumulative, the number of reefs that have not yet bleached uh, has got smaller and smaller with, with each new event. So there's a cluster of reefs that haven't bleached in the very far north uh, outside of of the Torres Strait, so the most seaward reefs in the very far north of the Great Barrier Reef, they haven't yet bleached. It's feasible that they're protected by uh, hydrology, the hydrodynamics of that part of the world. Uh, there's very strong currents and uh, upwelling from deep water at the edge of the continental shelf that may uh, keep those reefs relatively safe. Um, there are also clusters of reefs in the far south, again, very far offshore, that haven't yet bleached in any of those five events. But we're talking about well under 5% of the Great Barrier Reef that hasn't yet shown any sign of bleaching um, in, in all five of those events. It's, it's a very small number of reefs. Mm. Um, what does that do to the reef ecosystem? Uh, are you seeing, you know, long-term changes in not just the corals, but the other organisms that use the reef? Oh, well, that, that's a very interesting question. It's a, it's a research question we've, we've been following up and, and addressing during these multiple bleaching events. When, when bleaching occurs, it's actually incredibly selective. So we talk about coral species that are winners versus losers. So uh, a winner is a species that is thermally tolerant, so it takes more heat, make it go pale or white. Um, and when it does bleach, it often regains its color fairly quickly in the following months as temperatures drop and they survive. Um, those corals tend to be long-lived, slow-growing, dome-shaped corals. Uh, the other type, the, the so-called losers, are mostly staghorn corals, branching corals, or they're the size and shape of a coffee table, table corals. And they're much more three-dimensional, and they grow faster, and they don't live as long. They also provide most of the nooks and crannies on a reef. They're highly three-dimensional. And those nooks and crannies, to answer your question, are very important for all the rest of the biodiversity on a reef. 
branching corals, for instance, provide a nursery to reef fish and to reef fisheries. So when you lose a lot of corals, particularly the susceptible ones, it does change the broad ecology of, of the whole reef ecosystem. We'll be right back after this song. This is Twisting Words by Maisha. You're listening to Out of the Blue on 3CR Community Radio, 855am. with Twisting Words. You're listening to Out of the Blue on 3CR Community Radio, 855am. I've been talking to Professor Terry Hughes, who's been out surveying the latest coral bleaching event on the Great Barrier Reef. And so what's the concern here with, the, um, with these increasing bleaching events? I think I saw also on Twitter that you mentioned that um, this event is a bit unusual in that it's not associated with... Um, a climate pattern such as El Nino, this is an otherwise fairly, you know, normal 
year weather-wise. What, what's the concern there that, that as we see these, you know, increasing bleaching events, what will happen to the reef in the long term? Okay, let me, let me try and explain the role of El Ninos in these bleaching events. El Ninos occur on an irregular cycle roughly every five years and uh, globally um, they represent an increase in temperature in, in many places, including the Great Barrier Reef. We've had El Ninos forever, so since the end of the last ice age there would have been thousands, but we have no records of widespread coral bleaching on the Great Barrier in say the 1960s, 1970s, 1980s, all the way up to 1998 when we first saw coral bleaching and it was during a very strong El Nino. 1998 was globally the hottest year then on record, but since then that record has been broken many, many times. So we no longer need an El Nino to trigger a coral bleaching and the first bleaching in 98 was triggered by an El Nino because the baseline temperatures are going up and up due to global warming. Mm. So five events we've now had, only two were during El Nino conditions, the other were in enso-neutral conditions. And the reason for that is water temperatures today in the tropics, even during cooler La Nina phases of enso cycles are hotter today during La Nina phases than they were during El Nino periods about 30 or 40 years ago. So temperatures are going up and up due to global warming. We don't need an El Nino anymore to trigger a large scale bleaching event. So they're becoming more and more frequent. So if we look at the five events so far on the Barrier Reef and more broadly, at multiple events uh, around the tropics, there's a number of trends happening. One is the events are becoming stronger. So the severity of bleaching in 1998 and again in 2002 was in retrospect um, quite mild compared to the more recent ones in the last five years. They become much more frequent. And uh, as this event shows, the damage is becoming more widespread. We're particularly concerned about the shrinking gap between one event and the next. We've already now seen one example so far of back-to-back bleaching in two consecutive summers in 2016 and 17. The gaps are really important because that's the period when the corals have the potential to rebound, to recover after the losses of corals caused by each mass bleaching event. Um, what's it like seeing this happen to something that you've spent so much time with? And obviously it's not just confined to the Great Barrier Reef, but you've started out working in the Caribbean. What, what's that like? Uh, well, I, I'm happy to answer that, that question, James. Um, but really the importance of this uh, goes way beyond how um, marine biologists feel uh, about system being badly damaged. Um, Coral reefs are incredibly important to about 400 million people Mm -hmm. around the tropics. Um, Most of those people are quite poor. 
and most of them live in relatively small, rapidly developing countries. For them, damage to coral reefs due to global warming affects their food security and it affects their livelihoods. So those, uh, I would argue, are the people we need to be more concerned about. Um, mm -hmm. But to duck your question, it is very confronting to witness the level of damage um, equally. Uh, it's always great when we come across a patch of unbleached reef during these um, during these events. So about 40% of the corals, coral reefs that we surveyed this year didn't bleach. Um, many of them have bleached in previous events, but they didn't bleach this time, which means that their recovery from earlier events um, won't have been interrupted. That recovery takes about a decade for a half decent recovery. Um, and that's for the faster growing species. So the gap between these events is really critical mm. and shorter and shorter. Mm, thank you. Um, so that brings me to what, what can we do? And I'd like to start with um, looking at what we can do in the short term. We will get to climate change. But is there anything that, um, any small scale actions that reef scientists can do to help protect reefs during bleaching at a very local scale? Well, uh, bleaching when it happens um, doesn't take any regard of um, reef zoning. So uh, as your listeners are probably aware, the Great Barrier Reef is well protected and it is zoned to indicate areas where different activities can take place or are prohibited. So pink zones, for instance, are areas that are typically rookeries for birds or for turtles. Those are special areas where uh, you can't enter unless you have a, a special permit. There are other zones, they're, they're green on the maps, where fishing isn't, isn't allowed and so on. That zoning is a great idea and it's important for protecting nesting areas and for protecting um, reef fisheries, reef fish stocks, um, but they don't stop the hot water from intruding. So um, there, I guess there's two aspects. What can we do to stop the bleaching and what can we do to promote the recovery of the corals afterwards? I think it's useful to think of it in those two phases. So there's not a lot we can do to stop the corals from bleaching other than dealing with greenhouse gas emissions. And uh, Australia's policies in that regard are relatively weak compared to other wealthy, well-developed countries. We have very weak targets for uh, the Paris uh, Agreement, for example. Um, and Australian governments at the state and Commonwealth level are still promoting fossil fuels which is a real policy failure in terms of proper stewardship of, of the Great Barrier Reef. Getting back to the other phase, which is the recovery phase, it's a very good idea to have good water quality. In other words, to deal with water pollution because a polluted reef struggles to recover after a major setback like a cyclone or an outbreak of crown of thorns or increasingly a bleaching event. Baby corals in particular are susceptible to being smothered by sediment, which comes as 
runoff uh, onto coastal reefs and, and uh, inner shelf reefs that are close to the mouths of rivers. So looking after water quality as a mechanism for promoting reef resilience is a great idea, but it isn't enough. We really have to deal with global warming or these events will become more and more frequent. To put it another way, we, we've now seen five major bleaching events on the Great Barrier Reef with just one degree of global average warming. Um, so you could characterize reefs as being extremely uncomfortable with the current level of warming. The Paris target, the lower one, is for one and a half degrees. That, that translates into about another half degree of warming of tropical oceans. And I think that's doable in terms of still having a functional Great Barrier Reef in 30 or 50 years time. The mix of species will change. It, it's already changing incredibly rapidly as the, as the so-called losers, the more susceptible corals become less and less abundant with each bleaching event. The tougher corals, however, are, are hanging in there. And so I, I do think we'll have a, a vibrant Great Barrier Reef in 20 or 50 years time if we deal with rising greenhouse gases. Mm. Um, we don't, and we end up with three, four degrees or more, we will have obviously huge impacts in terms of things like bushfires in Australia, and we won't have much of a Great Barrier Reef left uh, under those extreme conditions. You've been listening to Out of the Blue on 3CR Community Radio. To listen to this episode again, or any of our previous episodes, head to www.3cr.org.au forward slash Radio Blue, where you'll find our podcast. And follow our Facebook page, Out of the Blue Radio, for updates. We'll see you next week. Six years I've been in Beyond the Bars is 3CR's annual prison project, giving voice to our Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander inmates right across Victoria. It's good to be here because uh, Aboriginal radio and um, you don't really get to do this much. Brings us all together. Time, you'll get your time to take that first step out that front door to freedom beyond these walls. Make sure and I just want to say thank you to all of you for giving us the opportunity to speak on air. The reason, the bigger the calling. Make your commitment and watch things unfold. And you can listen to audio from this year's broadcasts and previous years as well. Online at any time, just go to 3cr.org.au forward slash beyond the bars. But also while I'm here, I'd like to say thank you for all for coming, um, helping, giving us a chance to do this. It's really good, you know. It's been going for a while now. Hopefully, it goes, it keeps going. You know, like it's it's good that we can do this and um, get our voice out there as prisoners. We can't blame everything on the external, so let's stop looking for it in the hands of the persecutor, because real power comes from here and it comes from family. If you would like us to post you a free CD, contact the station on 03-9419-8377. Australian music needs your help. 
Music festivals, concerts and local gigs have been cancelled due to coronavirus. Artists, crew and music workers have lost their jobs and don't know when their next gig will happen. We're all facing the sound of silence, but you can help. Visit thesoundofsilence.com.au now. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.